Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Let us be seated. So I love going to the theater to see plays. There is, to me, something that's just almost magical about watching people create a whole world on the stage right in front of you. And I love the moment right before that world comes to life. The moment when the house lights go down, the whole theater is dark, and you know that the actors are moving into their places on the stage, but you can't see them and you can't hear them. To me, it is this moment of just exquisite expectation. And then the lights come up on the stage, the world of the play appears before you, and all of a sudden you are just immersed in this story. Today we celebrate Epiphany. And I think of Epiphany as being a little bit like that moment in the theater. The word Epiphany means appearance or manifestation. It suggests something being made known, being made visible. That something was already true, it was already present, it just couldn't be perceived. But now it's been made evident. Just like the actors are already on stage in that moment of darkness, but they don't appear, their presence isn't made known until the light shines on them. So on Epiphany, we celebrate the appearance, the manifestation, the being made known of God in Jesus Christ. God has always been present in the world, has always been with his people. But with the birth of Jesus, God's presence is made known in a new way, a visible way, an incarnate way. And with the birth of Jesus, God is making known to the people that his presence and his power his rule and his reign, they're not just for the Israelites, they're for the entire world. With the birth of Jesus, the lights have come up on a whole new act of God's story. And it's a story that everyone is invited to take a part in. So in the tradition of the Christian church in the West, the story of the Magi, a.k.a. the wise men or the three kings, this is the story for Epiphany. It is a story of the startling vastness of God's mercy and revelation. It's a story of the beautiful receptiveness of outsiders to the grace of God. And it's a story of the fierce resistance to the reign of God on the part of those who would rather hold on to their own reign. In other words, the story of the Magi is a story about how God reveals himself 
about how he makes himself known and how we respond when he does. And that's the lens that I want us to look at this story through this morning. Asking ourselves what this story of the Magi can teach us. What can it teach us about God? What can it teach us about ourselves? What can it teach us about the invitations that God may be extending to us through it? Of course, it's a really well-known story, the story of the Magi. In fact, in some ways, I think it's maybe a little bit too well-known because the familiarity of it, lots of inaccuracies have sort of crept into the version of the story that a lot of us carry in our heads or in our nativity scenes or wherever we may see this story. For example, we think of them as the three kings. We three kings of Orientar, right? Except they weren't kings. There's nothing that suggests that they were actually kings, and there's nothing that suggests that there were three of them. We actually have no idea how many of them there were. They brought three gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and from that has come this tradition of there having been three of them. But we really don't know how many came. The ESV translation that we use um, calls them wise men. That's the, the way they translate the word. But in a lot of ways, I think that's not the best translation. I think using the word magi, which is what the Greek is, is probably best. Magi doesn't really have a direct English translation, but it's the same root that our word magic comes from. These magi were somewhere between astronomers and astrologers. They came from the east, probably around modern-day Persia, but we're not quite sure, modern-day Iran. They may have been Zoroastrians, followers of a religion that looked to the stars to interpret the times. They were in some ways regarded as scientists of their time and in other ways as magicians. But what they did was they looked to the skies, they looked to the heavens, to the created world for signs. And that's how they interpreted their world. And it was not uncommon in the view of the Magi for a star, the appearance of a star, to signal the birth of a king. And so these magi, however many of them there were, had been in their home in the east, wherever it was. They had been looking at the heavens as they did, and they saw a star. They saw a star rise, and they knew somehow that that star meant that a king had been born, and that specifically a king had been born to the Jews. And so they decided to go greet this new king. They set out for Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was the capital. That's where the king lived. So if there's a new king, you go where kings live. It's interesting that the text doesn't tell us that they followed the star to Jerusalem. It says they saw the star, they knew it was for the king of the Jews being born, and so they went to where they thought they would find the king of the Jews. 
So they journey a long distance. It probably took them about two years for this. They get there. They get to Jerusalem. They go to King Herod, to the king of the Jews, and they say, great, we heard the good news. There's a new king that's been born. And Herod's like, whoa, whoa, what? (laughs) This is not good news to Herod. So Herod calls in the religious experts and says, what's this about a new king? Where is the new king supposed to be born? And they say, oh yes, our scriptures tell us about this. They say he'll come from Bethlehem. The scriptures complete the revelation that was given to the Magi about where they would find the king. The revelation began in nature with the star But that only brought them as far as Jerusalem. It was the scriptures that finally brought them to where Jesus actually was. And it's then, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, that the star moves and they follow it. And when they get there, when they see the star moving and they finally get to Bethlehem and they see Jesus with his mother Mary, they are Filled with joy. The text says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, which is just, I think, Matthew trying to put the word joy in as many times as he can. It's like saying they happily happied with much happiness. You know? They are full of joy at meeting this king who the king in Jerusalem doesn't even seem to know about certainly doesn't think is a king, but somehow they know that this little child is the king of the Jews, and what do they do? They fall down and they worship him. They are full of joy, and they fall down and they worship because they know that this is the true king of the Jews. And then they are warned in a dream. Matthew doesn't tell us who the warner is, but I think it's safe to assume that it's God. That he speaks to them again in the ways that they understand. He speaks to them in a dream and says, don't go back to Herod. Go back a different way. So what do we learn about God from this story? Well, we learn that God's grace and his mercy and his love are vast. When God wants to reveal that Jesus is the king of the Jews, he doesn't go to the religious experts in Jerusalem. He doesn't go to the king in Jerusalem. He goes to these magi, Gentiles, astrologers. These people would have been just, the Jews in Israel would have turned their noses up at these people, dismissed them as idolaters. They thought that they worshiped the stars, but what does God do? That's where God goes. That's who God speaks to, and he speaks to them through the stars. He speaks to them in their language, in something they understand, And somehow he speaks to them in a way that they know this is a new king they need to go see. 
in announcing the birth of the king of the Jews to the Magi in the East, God is showing us that his good news of Jesus' birth, of the coming of God, of Emmanuel, is for all the world, not just for the Jews, for the Gentiles, for everyone. God shares this message with the world by going to the ultimate outsiders and calling them to be the ones who come and worship. In speaking to the Magi, in calling them to come worship Jesus, God is showing us that it has always been his intention to have his love, his mercy, his covenant spread beyond the people of Israel into the whole world. This is the announcement of the coming of the king to all the kingdoms of the world. So we learn here that God is not afraid to go to those who we might dismiss, not afraid to go to those who we would consider outsiders, not afraid to speak to them in ways we might dismiss as being not the way God is supposed to speak. God will use all of creation and God will use all of his supernatural powers to share his message that salvation has come for all. Well, what about ourselves? What can we learn about ourselves from this story? We learn about ourselves from the Magi, I think. Now, many of us are church people. We are here regularly. This is our identity. This is our community. We are more insiders than outsiders. But some of us may feel like outsiders. All of us know people who feel like outsiders to the kingdom of God. And what this story tells us is that there is nothing. We can never be so far away. We can never be so much of an outsider that God's love doesn't come to us and for us. We are never so much of an outsider that we cannot receive God's love and mercy. I think this should also speak to us, this story of the Magi, that we, if we are more insiders than outsiders, that we should not be surprised when God goes to those we think are outsiders and calls them in. And when he does it using means that are not how we think God should work or how God should speak. What we see and what we can learn about ourselves is that no matter how far away we are or how far away someone else is, God can always speak to us in ways that we understand. Like he spoke to the Magi through the stars, he can speak to us in ways we understand. He will meet us where we are and he will lead us to him. But like the Magi, we have a responsibility when God leads us to him. When they finally reach the child, Jesus, what do they do? They fall down and worship 
And then they take direction from God to go home another way. When God calls us to him, when he speaks to us in the ways we understand, when he meets us where we are, and when he leads us to him, then our response is to fall down and worship him, to declare that he is the king of our lives and of the world, and then to let him lead us to determine our paths and our steps, to be willing to go a different way because we have met Jesus. There's a lot that we can learn about God from this story. There's a lot that we can learn about ourselves from the Magi. We learn about the vastness of God's mercy and grace and how how it can always come for us. But there's another character in the story, right? There's Herod. Herod was known to be ruthless. Herod killed three of his own sons just to maintain his hold on power. So when these magi come into town with news of another king, the news is not good news to Herod. It says that he's terrified by the news that they bring and all of Israel with him because they know, I think, the the people who live in Jerusalem and in Israel, they know that a threatened Herod is a dangerous Herod. And so they are terrified, just as Herod is terrified that he may lose his grip on power. So Herod is ruthless. He is vicious. He's conniving. He says, oh, yes, go find out where he is and then come back and tell me because I want to go too. Bethlehem's only a few miles from Jerusalem, folks. He could have gone with them. But no, he's kind of lazy. He's willing to let other people do the work. And then he's going to come in, not to worship Jesus, but to kill him. And I think it's interesting that when... The Magi come and ask where this king is to be born, and Herod calls the religious experts, and they read from the scriptures. At that point, Herod has every bit as much revelation about Jesus as the Magi do. He presumably has the benefit of having heard more of the Hebrew scriptures, more of the prophecies and the predictions. But at the very least, he knows as much as the Magi do about this revelation of the birth of the king of the Jews. But where the Magi respond to that revelation with wonder and with joy and with eagerness and openness... Herod responds with fear and with resistance. Herod cannot welcome the presence of a new king because Herod must remain king. And so he resists the revelation that God has given. We don't read about it in the passage for today, but if you go on and read the rest of Matthew 2, Of course, we find that God warns Joseph in a dream to take Mary and Jesus and to escape to Egypt because Herod then goes on a genocidal rampage. He kills all 
the little boys under two in, in Bethlehem, in Jerusalem. What we call now the slaughter of the innocents. Herod wreaks untold tragedy and pain because he is so determined to hold on to his grip on power. He is so determined to remain the king and not to let Jesus be king. The lesson I think that Herod has to teach us is that unfortunately there's a little bit of Herod in each of us. There is something in each of us that when we are greeted with the news of the birth of the king, when Jesus lays claim to his role, his right as the king of our hearts, our lives, and the world, there is a part of us that does not want to let him take his place on that throne. There is a part of us that wants to hold on to control of our lives, and we will resist with everything in us. Jesus' claim to the authority of our lives. And when we do that, harm comes. Certainly to our own souls, but as it did with Herod, it spreads beyond that. When we resist God, inevitably we end up resisting the image bearers of God. And people are harmed. Dale Brunner is a commentator, and he's written a big old commentary on Matthew that's quite excellent on this passage, and much of my reflections on it have come more sparked by his writing. And I want to read a little bit of what he wrote about this because I think he, he just describes it so well. He said, Just as the Magi serve as encouragement as examples of how God's grace can summon us no matter how far out we are. So Herod is a warning, an example of what can happen to us when we despise grace, no matter how far up or in we are. If, like Magi, we heed God's ministries in creation and listen to God's word in church and so go to Bethlehem in faith, then we too will meet Christ. We will give him our gifts and we will go home another way. But if like Herod, who is at the head of the people of God and who was also given the word, we will only listen for the word in order to find ways of resisting it, then it's not only we who will be hurt, but innocence around us as well. For sin like righteousness, is social. Brunner goes on to talk about the way that there are always two kings in us. There is King Jesus when we have accepted him, when we have decided to follow him, to let him be our Lord, but there is always a part of us that wants to keep our Herod on our own throne. And those two kings will be at war as long as we are on this earth. There is Herod in each of us. And I think this story is a warning to us to look at honestly the ways that we resist God's reign and rule in our lives. And 
of the harm that can come to us and to others as we do. So what's the good news for us in this passage today? Well, the good news is that whether we are magi come from afar or whether we are Herod intent on resisting God's reign and rule, no matter what, the star still shines. We have a choice each and every day how we will respond to the revelation that God has given us in Jesus. We can respond with the choice to resist it, to resist him, to try to hold on to our own power, to to take that light and shine it on ourselves. Or we can choose to respond with openness, with receptiveness, with joy and with gratitude, the light that God has given in his revelation. We can choose to follow that light and to let it lead us to Christ. The good news is that we no longer have to wait in the dark. The light has come up on this new act of what God is doing in the world. The light has shined and we are invited to take our place, to take our part on the stage, to join God's great story of redemption. The light shines, it keeps shining in the darkness. The darkness will not overcome it. God invites us to take our place under those lights, following him in his story of redemption. So how will we answer his invitation today? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you have brought light to us who walked in darkness. Thank you that you have begun a new story of redemption and that you call all of us to be part of it. God, would you give us the grace to let go of our claims of our own rule in our lives and to embrace your kingship. Help us to heed, to fall down, to worship you and to be willing to go another way as you lead our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.